If feminism gave lesbianism a more revolutionary political movement, lesbians may have returned more of a favor than was originally wanted. Skip two periods, June 1988. From the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ Plus History Project. My name is Megan. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm an undergraduate research fellow at Roanoke College with the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ Plus History Project. And this podcast is on the topic of lesbian feminism in Southwest Virginia. When people think of the feminist movement, they may think of Gloria Steinem or Betty Friedan in the 1960s and 70s. They may also think of Alice Paul and her fight for the 19th Amendment in the early 20th century. These three women were white, cisgender, and straight, at least as far as we know. They worked towards equality between men and women. They fought for equality in the workplace and for the Equal Rights Amendment. What we don't hear much of when talking about feminism, however, are the lesbian women, transgender women, and women of color who are fighting alongside the big-name feminists we hear so much about. Don't get me wrong, these big-name feminists fought for a better, more equal world for women like me. But I'm even more interested in what feminism looks like for LGBTQ plus people. When you're a lesbian feminist, you think of other women as your sisters. Lesbian feminism was a movement within the larger women's movement of the 1970s and 80s, with the idea that lesbian women were not only fighting for their equal rights as women, to receive equal pay and respect in the workplace and all aspects of life, but also for, quote, political activism and social change beyond that of the primarily gay male organizations, unquote. As written in the June 1988 edition of Skip Two Periods, Skip Two Periods was a lesbian feminist newsletter produced in Roanoke, Virginia in the 1980s by a group called First Friday. Throughout the podcast, you will hear the voices of women at Roanoke College who will be reading short excerpts from Skip Two Periods related to lesbian women's rights. Women-identified women began to insist that the true revolutionary feminist was a lesbian, that the non-feminist lesbian was unenlightened, and that women could personally and politically develop in the absence of men. Skip two periods, June 1988. In addition to skip two periods, the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ Plus History Project has conducted oral history interviews with women involved with lesbian feminist organizing in the 1980s in our region. first get exposed to feminism then? Oh, well, it was just happening around me. You know, um, in, at Milwaukee Independent School, we would go to protests against the war, um, women's lib, um, you know, the gay rights movement was starting to happen, um, the black power movement, it was um, just, it was, it was everywhere. And I just was always a woman's liber. You know, I mean, in high school, I had a, you know, the pin with the fist in it, the woman's head with the fist, and um, it, it just, it spoke to me. Feminism has been around for a while, and it is always interesting to hear how other people realize they were feminists, or how they first got exposed to feminism. For me, I always knew that I was a feminist, even if I didn't exactly know what it meant to be one until this past summer. 
I found out that the Equal Rights Amendment had yet to be ratified, though it was written 98 years ago by Alice Paul, and I was horrified that our country had let a proposed amendment sit idle for that long. Hearing the voices of queer women from Southwest Virginia express their excitement and their realizations of how much feminism means to them shows me how the idea of equality has inspired so many women throughout the generations. Were you connected at all to feminism at all? No. Okay. No, I was connected to an, uh, somebody who came out in high school. And, and honestly, too, when you, when in, in that time, when you came out in high school, you were ostracized, you were taken to therapy, you, you know, like your parents worked on it. And um, so the women that I knew that came out in high school had like some big defenses for good reasons, but also weren't like, like reading feminism books. <laughs> they were like on the ball fields, they were, you know, they were the jocks and they were, you know, um, into athletics, let's just say. And so they had their own little world, but it, it, to me it just wasn't, it wasn't about feminism at all, it was just about, um, so that's kind of, you know, when I realized who I was, that's who I was with. <laughs> I'm a feminist and I'm okay with it. I met this enclave of lesbian feminists and I was like, I am home. <laughs> I am home. So it was um, euphoric. I was euphoric. And so then I learned how to be a lesbian feminist in Blacksburg, which still had lots of rules to it, but it, weren't, it wasn't like screwed up, you know, closety hiding everything. But I wasn't, but in no way I was not out and I was not interested in being, I wanted to be out, I wanted to meet more women, but I was not interested in making any kind of political statement. Straight feminists began to find lesbians embarrassing, and concern grew that the women's movement would be stigmatized by a lesbian presence. The movement split across gay straight lines, the first of many splits, and the stage was set for a lesbian separatism and the lesbian nation. Skip two periods, June 1988. Part of the reason that it is rare to hear the stories of lesbian women in the feminism movement is due to the social splits that occurred between the straight and queer women's communities in the 1970s. This caused a disconnect in the sense that straight women didn't want to work with the lesbian women to achieve the same goals. They felt that an association with outspoken lesbians made all women fighting for equality look bad, especially at a time when homosexual behavior was still criminalized. The second wave of feminism added new sources of conflict to what were really newly politicized lesbian communities. Skip two periods, June 1988. 
but the pushback from straight women on the involvement of lesbian women in the feminist movement as a whole went against everything both communities were aspiring to achieve. The lesbians in the women's movement were labeled as the Lavender Menace by feminist and activist Betty Friedan Shee and many other straight women believed that lesbians were going to take over the movement with their man-hating ideals. Despite this belief rooted among many straight feminists, there were lesbians who didn't hate men. And yet, there were some lesbians who fell into this man-hating group and did not want to associate themselves with anyone who had anything to do with men. This included disassociating themselves from bisexual women, because they sometimes had male partners, transgender women who were seen as formerly being men, and straight women. These lesbians took on the label of separatists. I'm a feminist concerned about the status of all women in our society, but my main thrust will always be toward the cultivation of lesbian pride and the continuous development of a lesbian community. Notes from a social separatist. Skip two periods. February 1984. Personally, was um, a social separatist. I describe describe myself like that forever. Um, you know, if I had to be with men, which I did because I worked with men mostly, almost exclusively, and um, and I could handle it and, and do it and all that. But I didn't want to waste any of my social time, my off time, being with men. Um, nor did I want them infiltrating our our group or our parties or our events. I mean, even if they would come to a concert or something, get out of here. You have every other place to go, you know? So, um, yeah, I was pretty adamant. I don't think that I represented everybody with that. A lot of people were nicer and um, more um, accepting and just, you know, realize that we live in a, <laughs> in a world full of both men and women. But, but back then, you just kind of had to be... Um, uh, protective and um, in, in an extreme. And so we kind of created our own lesbian community. Um, in later years I found out that there were some women who thought we were separatists, but that wasn't the case at all. It was just a, a you know group of lesbians who did a lot of stuff. Was there any um, reason why they thought you were separatists? Or? I think they just didn't know. Um, mm -mm. No, not at all. They certainly would have been welcome to have joined us, but you know, I, no reason at all that I'm aware of. Dear Skip Two Periods, Since First Friday is the only support network of women-loving women in the Roanoke Valley, I want to see it remain open to all women-loving women. I can see value in creating subgroups of particular interests, such as lesbian separatists, bisexual women, lesbian mothers, lesbians who are married to men. There is also value in reaching out by promoting feminist-oriented events open to the general public, to extend feminist consciousness, and to help confront more stereotypes. 
By allowing First Friday to be an expanding network of women-identified women, I can see it becoming a vital and effective interest group for women's rights. Our power is stronger when we unite with a common goal of women's rights to love other women instead of dividing our strength by throwing out women who aren't party-line politically correct lesbians. SDB, skip two periods, February 1984. that it's it's all hate crimes and things like that it's yeah. definitely has always been happening it's just that the internet phones and social media it makes it very hard to sweep it under the rug especially when it's out there before you can create a story behind it mm -hmm. the news like you know yeah, every that's true, that's true. <laughs> you can only you have to read between the lines mm -hmm. and things so i think that definitely definitely not more it's just we we're able to see it more despite the definition of feminism stating Equal rights for women. Some white feminists idea of equal rights for women stopped only at equal rights for white women. As previously discussed, there were, of course, problems between straight white women and lesbians. However, one of the biggest downfalls of the lesbian feminist movement was the lack of inclusion of women of color and transgender women that occurred. It was rare for even the mention of women of color or transgender women to appear in the literature of the time. The lack of these voices seems to show that even while being a lesbian, a minority within a minority group, there was still oppression and discrimination within this movement about equality. Few white women, straight or lesbian, noticed that feminist analysis did not consider issues relevant to women of color. Denial of differences also made it difficult to notice that lesbians were not all alike and that differences along ethnic, class, and educational lines did exist. Leftover prejudices and stereotypes also existed with perhaps the ingrained cultural habit of generalizing particular experiences to all. These issues, then submerged, led to later confrontations and challenges. Skip two periods, June 1988. It was not very racially or ethnically diverse. <clears throat> Excuse me, I can only think of a few um, African-American women and a few um, women of um, you know, Mexican or Central American or Asian background, um, a few women with evident physical disabilities, but mostly we were white bread. I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to conduct a short interview with Dr. Emma Heaney, who is the author of the article, Women Identified Women, Trans Women in the 1970s Lesbian Feminist Organizing, as well as the book, The New Woman, Literary Modernism, Queer Theory, and the Trans Feminine Allegory. Our conversation centered around the place of trans women within the feminist movement of the 1970s, and I'm excited to be able to share part of that conversation with you. And what I was finding in the archive was that there were these spectacular moments where um, where great cruelty and sort of peculiar cruelty and peculiar focus on the part of certain cis women was directed at trans women. But there were also all sorts of ways in which trans women were vibing with, were um, interested in the the project of radical and socialist feminisms in the 70s 
and uh, participating in spaces in some cases. Dr. Heaney spent a considerable amount of time in archives researching the lives of trans feminists, not completely different from what I spend my time doing for the History Project. Her access to these archives has provided her with the expertise on transgender feminists that she shared with me, which is beyond interesting. Similarly, she goes on to talk about the fact that, in her words, there's no universal women's condition, which fits perfectly in the discussion of trans women in the feminist movement. Not complicate. Have bearing on the way in which misogyny works for women who are not white or middle class and or middle class, right? And so we have to have a thought capacious enough to understand misogyny in all of its operations. And that doesn't mean limiting that your analysis so that it can be this sort of pure idea because that's just talking about white women endlessly, white middle-class women. And I think that people were very frightened of of their inability as as white sort of figures in the movement to to create such an analysis that would um, account for the full operation of misogyny. And so um, and so trans misogyny became a way to deflect and to create a new enemy in order to shore up the idea of the category woman. That's what I think happened. I hope that we'll continue to expand and uncover and retain for history all of the things that women were doing all over the country. Thank you to Dr. Gregory Samantha Rosenthal and Dr. Emma Heaney for their contributions to this podcast. I'd also like to thank Grace Fowler and Caroline Painter from Roanoke College for their contributions as the Skip Two Periods voices. Other than the interview with Dr. Heaney, all of the audio interviews in this podcast are drawn from oral histories in the LGBTQ history collection at the Virginia Room in the Roanoke Public Library, which is located in Roanoke, Virginia. The oral history narrators featured in today's program include Robin Jordan, Nancy Kelly, Catherine L. Baranich, Gail Barres, and Ashley Rain. All of the music in today's podcast is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions and Purple Planet Music. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share. You can find more information about the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project and this podcast at www.lgbthistory.pages.roanoke.edu. We are also on Facebook at Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project and follow us on Instagram at SWVA LGBTQ History. Thank you for your contributions to making history with us. Thank you.